I know. I know. I'm so glad that you wanted to clap too, because I just I got so excited watching that. Taryn, thank you so much. Hey, uh, next month is December. It's a month when we celebrate the very first coming of Jesus Christ to this planet. But in November, we're doing a little backward here. In November, we're celebrating the second coming of Jesus Christ. So for the next four weeks, and in our small groups, we're going to be discussing the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you, um, this, was, this sermon series was not something that I had on the agenda for this year, but I felt really impressed in my spirit. I really felt that God wanted me to present this in November. In fact, it was supposed to be five weeks, but what, what happened is I just felt again in my prayer time that what we needed to do before we began the series on the end, we needed to have an evening of prayer and a crying out to God. And so last Sunday night, if you were here, oh my goodness, what a wonderful experience of just worshiping. We had communion together. We watched as families just gathered together in corners and prayed together as a family. It was truly a wonderful time. And I've had a lot of people say to me, Pastor, we have to do this more often. And so we're going to try to do this on a, on, a, on a regular basis because it is such a powerful time of meeting with God. But again, especially meeting together and working together as a family. Uh, Pastor Chris sent this to me this past week. And uh, he didn't send me that. And he didn't send me that. He sent me that. And it's a story about uh, chip implants. And uh, this is a man getting a, a chip implant in his hand during... Um, an event at the epicenter, a tech hub in Stockholm. This was in January 2018. So it was very, very fresh off, off, the, um, off the press. <laughs> Journalist Jonathan Nackstrand says, are you ready for a chip implant? He says, you walk into a grocery store, you need to get some eggs and maybe some butter and uh, milk. And you suddenly realize, oh man, I don't have my wallet with me. Has that ever happened to anybody here? Uh, and I, I don't even have my phone with me. Because if you have your phone, you could at least use Apple Pay. What do you do? Well, if you have an implant, all you have to do is put it across the scanner, and boom, your stuff is paid for. Your bank account is debited. Wow. You might think this is science fiction. But in fact, in Sweden... There are already at least 4,000 people who have had chips implanted so that they can actually just use their hand to pay for their groceries or whatever it is that they're looking for. Here's, uh, here's how they do it. They stick it right in there, uh, right below the thumb. There's, uh, there's the, um, an x-ray of the implant, and that apparently will do the trick. Now, can I just tell everybody here, because I know that some of you have seen this for years, and you think, oh, wow, you know, they always, whenever there's anything like this, then pastors always make a big deal out of it. Here's what you need to know. There's nothing evil about having a chip. Because the fact is we already have chips. We have them on our debit cards and our credit cards. If you have a debit card or a credit card, you're already using a chip. This way it's convenient. It's under the skin, out of sight, out of mind. You don't have to worry about it. It's always with you. And it just makes sense. If you, had a, if you have a car accident and, and the medics get on the scene and they want to know what your, what your health condition is, well, they'll be able to scan your chip to see what your issues are. They'll be able to deal with you. 
And so you see that it really does actually make sense. There's nothing inherently evil about getting a chip. Uh, there's some that might disagree with that, but from, from my study, I, I don't think there's anything inherently evil about the chip. If you wanted to pay for a ticket, again, you just scan your hand, and there you got your tickets. You want to open a secure door? Would you love to go to the hospital and open all the doors? Just put your hand by the, by this, the, the little reader. There's lots of good reasons why. Now, that little chip is about the size of a Tylenol capsule. They implant it under your skin, very much like getting a tetanus shot. Cost about 180 bucks, and you never have to worry about your debit card, your credit card ever again. Now, here's the thing, folks. Here's now where we make, start making the connections. John tells us in Revelation 13, 16 to 18, that the beast will require everyone to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark. Now, just stop for a moment. Think about this. Up until just recently, nobody could fully understand what that passage of Scripture was saying. In fact, people would look at that passage of Scripture and shake their head and think, well, I don't know what that means exactly. Some people thought that you know, there'd be a mark there or there, maybe a barcode. But we recognize that it makes sense. If you're trying to control what's happening in the world, to control crime, it makes sense to have some sort of a method electronic method to track all human beings. And the, the thing is, is that without that mark, without that chip, you cannot buy or sell anything. And by the way, this mark was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. His number is 666. Now, like so many things in the Bible, we read it and maybe it doesn't make sense to us and we, we, we dismiss it as being... It doesn't make sense. It's being illogical. But as time marches on, we begin to say, oh, yeah, it really does make sense. Now, obviously, John is saying that with that chip will be some sort of a commitment or some kind of a devotion or some kind of honor that must be given to the beast, which if you are a Christian, you will not and cannot and should not do. Because no one with the mark of the beast will be able to inherit eternal life. This is very clear. And we're going to talk more about that in the days to come. But I wanted to show you this because today what I want to talk to you about are the signs of Christ's return. The signs of his soon return. Last Sunday I shared the concerns of the prophet Stephen Hawking, he wasn't really a prophet, but he is looking into the future and in this sense is prophesying. Now, in case you don't know who Stephen Hawking is, he is a, a theoretical physicist. Uh, he's famous, famous for, uh, he, well, he sits in his wheelchair and he does this, these mental gymnastics, these mental calculations that most of us, you know, we, we haven't got a clue where he's going with it, but there he is, brilliant mind. But here, here's what he said. He said, we are, we are coming to a critical mass, or, 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 or if you want, a tipping point in, on this earth. We can't go on the way we are. And so what he was advocating for, this is back in 2013. Some of you know he just died recently. In 2013, he said, we need to send out spacecraft. We need to send out exploration teams. We need to go back to the moon. These are his words. We need to go to Mars with the idea... With a purpose 
of colonizing space because life on this planet, planet as it is cannot go on. Now, can I remind you of something today? This is exactly what the Bible tells us is about to happen to us on this planet. And it's Stephen Hawking who does, by no means does he profess any kind of faith in Jesus Christ, or did he profess faith in Jesus Christ, but he recognizes, along with so many scientists, that life on this planet as it is cannot go on as it is. 200 years ago, 200 years ago, if you can believe this, 200 years ago, there were less than a billion human beings on the planet. 200 years ago. So the whole history of humanity never had there been a billion human beings on the planet. But then 100 years later began this massive increase in world population. In fact, between 1900 and the year 2000, the world population increased from about 1.5 to 6.1 billion. That's the year 2000. And if we fast forward... 18 years, we've added another uh, one point, about 1.2, 1.3 billion people. So we recognize that within 100 years, the world population will probably double again. The planet cannot sustain for long this kind of growth. And even if you say, well, Pastor Allen, we can easily manage double the population, will we be able to manage double that population? You, you understand, just, just not even thinking as a Christian, but just using your logic, your brain, the powers of mathematics, you recognize that we can't go on on this planet indefinitely. And so here's where Bible prophecy comes, comes in, and here's where we need to understand what Jesus is saying to us. Jesus is telling us that, yes, indeed, there really is an end. And i got to tell you that the last time I spoke about the end in any sort of uh, a focused and prolonged period of time was in the year 2012. Some of you may remember when I did a series on Ezekiel. And then before that was in 2006. And uh, I showed the film uh, An Inconvenient Truth by Al Gore. Some of you may remember that. But there are certain, certain things that are happening in the world that... that that make us recognize that things are changing, that things are happening. So what I want to do, I don't have a lot of time here this morning, and I got a lot of material. What I want to do is I want to go through some of the signs of Christ's return. And then next week what I want to do is I want to talk about about the false messiahs that Jesus talks about as a sign and what to do. And then after that, uh, we're going to talk... um, What are we talking about after that? We're talking about Israel. We're going to be talking about, about... about what's happening in Israel. And here's what you need to know about Israel, people. Uh, When it comes to the end times, much of what happens is focused on Israel. That's why we continue to look at what's going on in the country of Israel. That's why we're we're gauging what's happening. And in 2012, we we talked about uh, the signs that Ezekiel gives us. Uh, We recognize what happens in Israel has great significance for us as Christians. Now, let me just remind you of something that's really quite interesting. After after the the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, remember this passage of Scripture that... uh, uh, Let me just show that to you right now, actually. In Matthew 24, verse 3, uh, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives and his disciples came to him. 
privately and said, tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return in the end of the world? Just prior to this, Jesus has told his disciples, look at these beautiful buildings. And they were, of course, at the temple. And he said, you know what? These, are, these buildings are all going to be destroyed. They'll all be torn down. There'll be nothing left of them. And, of course, that got the disciples' attention. Like, what are you saying, Jesus? What do you mean? The temple's going to be, all these buildings will be destroyed. How could this possibly be? They couldn't imagine it. And then Jesus says, it's coming. Now, it's interesting that when Jesus uttered these words, this was just about 40 years away. Now, I've lived 56 years, and I can, I can remember, remember what happened 40 years ago. 40 years is not a long time. But Jesus said, it's coming. And he obviously was right. But here's what you're going to discover as we go through Matthew 24. Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 is called the Olivet Discourse. It's the teaching that Jesus gives about the end of the world on the Mount of Olives. That's where you get the word Olivet. Get it? Mount of Olives, Olivet. So here we are looking at the the Olivet Discourse. And by the way, we see uh, a similar Olivet Discourse in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 21, and also in Mark chapter 13. And basically, we we look at all three of these, and we get a good, clear understanding of what it's going to be like at the end and what the signs are going to be. And by the way, I'm going to be referencing the Luke Olivet Discourse in just just a few moments. But I want us to, to look this morning at what Jesus is saying about the end. One of the things he says is that, indeed, Israel will be destroyed. And here's what you need to know, is that when Israel fell in AD 70, they were scattered throughout the world. We call it the diaspora. These Jewish people are literally in every, every nation of the world. And I want you to see something. For, 19, about, for about 1,900 years, these Jewish people maintained their Jewishness. And one of the, uh, well, actually, a number of the great historians and sociologists, this has been, this, in their words, these are, again, these are people who are not Christians. They say it's miraculous that these people would retain their Jewishness and their faith over 1,900 years scattered throughout the nations. They did not have a nation of their own. And then in May of 1948, Israel became a nation again, and we see these people coming from around the world back to their homeland. Now this, Jesus says, he says, when you see the fig tree begin to bud and sprout, he said, this is the sign that the end has come. And that's what we're going to be talking about in three weeks. I'm really excited about that. But here's what you need to know. God has done a miracle in in Israel becoming a nation again after 1,900 years of having no homeland is indeed a massive miracle. And it is indeed one of the signs that Jesus is coming soon. In fact, some, some uh, would argue that, that those who experience the rebirth of Israel is the generation that will not pass away before Jesus Christ returns. So we recognize that we are very close to the end of times. Now, I don't have time today to read through Matthew 24 or Luke 21 or Mark 13, but here's what I'd like you to do. And I would like you to put your hand in your heart and say, Pastor Ellen, I promise to read the Olivet Discourses. Ready? Okay, let's try this again. Pastor Ellen, I promise to read the Olivet Discourses. Matthew 24 and 25, Luke 21 and Mark 13. Read them. 
get, be familiar with them. So what I'm going to do quickly, really, really quickly, is I'm going to try to read through the signs that you need to watch for. The first thing that Jesus says in verses 4 to 5 of Matthew 24, and if you have your Bible, you can take a look at them right now, and if you can't see them, maybe you can put the lights up, but you can take a look, take a look for yourself. Um, if you go, on, on, go to Wikipedia and look up the new religions, you will discover that there are literally thousands. In fact, the, the scholars say there are tens of thousands of new world religions. We're talking about religious deception. How many know today that Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me? This is what we believe. This is what we hold to. This is our understanding. Jesus says in verses 6 to 7, there will be wars and rumors of wars. Would anybody agree with me that there are wars and rumors of wars and that it's ramped up in ways that are actually quite terrifying? We know right now that there is a massive war, uh, uh, at least it's a cold war, and it hasn't yet, hasn't yet broken into all-out war between Iran and, and Israel. Iran wants to build a nuclear bomb, and they keep saying, they keep, their, their imams keep saying, we're going we're gonna to blow Israel off the map. Wars and rumors of war. In verse 7 of Matthew 24, it says there's going to be famines. There's going to be a shortage of food. I just read an article um, just last week that said that, as it is right now, there is not enough fruit and vegetables to feed all the people in the world. We are, we are living in days where there's a scarcity of food. In fact, we know that around the world, even now, there is a scarcity of food. And Jesus said that's what we can look for in the end of times. Now, can I just remind everybody that so many of these signs, we have seen them through the years. But what we're seeing now is that, is that it is, is escalating. There will be pestilences, verse 7. Plagues, pandemics, diseases. Anybody remember the West African outbreak of Ebola from 20, uh, about 2013 to 2016? And, and Ebola causes, it's a gruesome way to die. It, it produces an internal and an external bleeding. And, it, and it's highly, highly contagious. If you get near it, then you probably will get it. And, uh, and I don't know if you remember watching the pictures of it, but I'm going to tell you, absolutely horrifying. And Jesus says that's what we can expect in the last days. Jesus says there's going to be earthquakes in verse 7. Do you know that in 2018 there's been 167 earthquakes? It's unbelievable. And again, you can research all this yourself. In fact, I love Wikipedia. Wikipedia is asking me for money, and I give them it because I get a lot of information from them. But it's, uh, uh, listen to this. Uh, you can actually look at the numbers of earthquakes that have occurred by year and actually by month and where it's happened. You can look that up yourself. It's all there. But did you know that there was an earthquake in the Philippines today? Yes. And it's, it's right there. It's right there uh, on the website. And that was an earthquake of a magnitude of 6.0, so it's pretty big. Now... Jesus says, furthermore, in verse 9, there's going to be persecution of followers of Jesus Christ. Look what it says here. Uh, 215 million Christians experience high levels of persecution in the countries on the world watch list. This represents 1 in 12 Christians worldwide that right now is being persecuted for their faith. In fact, someone said that we haven't seen persecution like this of Christians for at least 800 years. We're seeing something very, very shocking happening in our midst. Jesus said uh, that there will be persecution of those who follow him. 
The World Watch List says that in 2018, there have been 3,066 Christians killed because they are Christians. There have been 1,252 abducted. There have been 1,020 women who have been raped or sexually harassed because they are Christians. And there have been 793 churches that were attacked or burned to the ground. We're talking, folks, about very serious, very, very serious things happening in these last days. Pastor Curry, who's the head of Open Doors, he reports this. He says that there have been a number of incidences where sex traffickers receive more money for the abducted daughters of pastors compared to other girls. This is what we're living in, folks. You need to see the signs of the times. And they report that Islamic oppression fuels Christian persecution in eight of the top ten countries. Now look at I don't want anybody walking away from here thinking, oh yeah, we need to do jihad against the Muslims. No, that's not at all. What you need to understand is that as Christians, first of all, we don't take up sword, we don't take up gun. What we do is we go to our knees and we pray. And if God, God wants to allow us to be taken home, so be it. Christ said to live as Christ, to die as gain. I got no problem with that. So we do not take, we do not take a, a hostile stance against the attacks and the persecution we go through. We recognize that it's just a fact of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. All in favor, say aye. Aye. Really? (laughs) That surprised me. I thought maybe you wouldn't be too too happy to hear that. In verse 10, Jesus says there's going to be an apostasy. People are going to leave the church. They're going to leave Christ. They're going to abandon the church. And we're seeing right now numbers of up to 70% of young people especially who say, that's it, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. Church has nothing for me. Hey, folks, listen, this is why at our church we're going to continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are not going to compromise in any way, shape, or form. We're going to make sure that you understand what it really means to be a Christian. And if you think for one minute that church is all about just making sure that we give you all the tools so you can have a happy life, I'm going to tell you, folks, that is very shallow. It's part of this story, but it's not the full story. Jesus tells us clearly that anybody who decides, I'm going to follow Jesus, is going to experience persecution for their faith. And you're going to hear that here at Cross Church. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) Apostasy in his last days. People will turn away from God. In fact, I'm already seeing it. In fact, I'm seeing pastors who are apostate. I'm seeing whole churches that are apostate. People that think they're following Christ, but their faith is not aligned with the biblical historical faith that's been handed down to us by the apostles. Anybody want me to go on? There's going to be lawlessness. This means a rejection of the law and of authority, rebellion. I can tell you, but when I was a youth pastor, I really didn't have any problems with young people listening to me and following my direction. Since I've taken on youth ministry here for, for a season, I'm going to tell you, it's like 50% are ch- want to challenge me, want to challenge my authority. And I have to say, listen, if you're, you want me to respect you, you have to respect me. You have to t- I, for, for months and months, we have to talk about respect so they understand what that actually is. 
And we've established that now, and it's actually quite wonderful. I, I love our youth ministry. I love the youth that, that attend. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus tells us in the last days, there's going to be lawlessness. There'll be a rejection of law, rejection of authority, no, rebellion. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. In verse 14, it says the gospel of the kingdom will be preached around the world. In verse uh, 15, it tells us about the coming of the armies of Armageddon, which you can read about yourself, and then the abomination of desolation that will be set up. The, right now, Israel is talking about building a new temple, and in that temple will be uh, somebody who, is, who, who claims to be and looks to be a Messiah or a Messiah figure. We recognize him as the Antichrist, but he will fool Many, many people, many, many thousands, many, many millions. Uh, and it will become clear that he is not the Christ the day that he sets an, up an image of himself in the temple. Again, you can read about that. Jesus says in verses 38 to 39 that, that in these last days it will be like as in the days of Noah. Chapter, what was that like? Well, Genesis 6, 5 tells us what it was like in the days of Noah. It says, The wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Only evil all the time. Hey, you know what we're seeing now? We're seeing year after year after year, human opinions about sin are, quite, quite frankly, are changing. How many know that the word of God does not change? What Jesus, who Jesus is does not change. God is not like a man that he should change. And yet somehow our opinions of sin have changed. Actions that were recognized as wrong in our parents' and our grandparents' generation, and maybe even in our generation when we were younger, are not seen as wrong anymore. Whether it's premarital sex, or cheating, lying, swearing, lusting, all manner of sexual perversions, which I don't need to get into. I think you know what I'm talking about. And Jesus said... Don't fall prey to the spiritual laziness of Noah's day. And the Bible tells us that Noah, as he was even entering into the boat, getting ready for the storm that was about to come, that people were sitting and doing, doing nothing but carrying on with life. So why am I sharing these, these signs with you today? I'll tell you, it's because Jesus tells us that we need to be ready. He tells us we need to be ready. Some would say, well, Pastor Allen, doesn't Matthew 24, doesn't that just refer to Jesus' time because, uh, and, and to the time of the fall of Jerusalem and, and Israel, referencing AD 70 when, when Rome destroyed, totally destroyed the temple and wiped out Israel. Well, the fact is, is yes, it is, Jesus is referring to that time, but he's also referring to a future time. And this is a thing about prophecy. And this is why it's so critical, people, that you become true students of Scripture. You'll see that oftentimes when there is a prophecy, it has to do with the present and it also has to do with the future. It's what we call in theological terms, now and not yet. Here's what we know. We know that of all the scripture prophecies that have been given to us, at least 80% now have come to completion. We've got a final, about, about 20%, maybe even less than that, to go. We're almost there. We're almost at the finish line. We're almost to the place where Jesus will return and set up his brand new kingdom. A kingdom that will last forever and ever. Hallelujah. Amen. 
a kingdom that you and I will belong to if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. Why does Jesus give us these warnings? Why is he telling the disciples this? Is it to terrify them? Well, I wouldn't say it was to terrify them, but he definitely did share this with them for a reason. And here's what it is. It's so that you and I would be ready. Look at Jesus says. This is, by the way, the Olivet Discourse that is listed in Luke 21. Jesus says, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing. What is carousing? It's just partying. Getting caught up in the things of this world, the fun, the adventure of this world. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap. For that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. And so again, we recognize that what Jesus is sharing with his disciples is for the present, but it's also for the future because it affects everyone living on the earth, not just Jerusalem. Do you know that in the Bible, in the New Testament particularly, in the 260 chapters in the New Testament, that there are 318 mentions that Jesus is coming again. That's basically one time for every 25 pages in the New Testament. It's telling us that Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Let's do this 318 times. No, no, let's not. (laughs) Jesus is coming again. Jesus wants us to get the message. He's coming again. The question is this, are you ready? Are you ready for his return? Because he is coming again, and he wants us to be ready. Matthew 24, 44 says, you also must be ready all the time. Not some of the time. In fact, that's really what Matthew 25 is all about. Matthew 24, Jesus tells us to be ready. Matthew 25, Jesus shares some parables of people who were not ready when Jesus returned, when the bridegroom came. For the Son of Man will come when least expected. So we are to watch not only the signs of the times, and to know those signs, and I've shared them with you, and you can easily read them yourself, but the other thing we need to understand is that we need to know our spiritual state. Not just the state of the world, but our spiritual state. So I'm going to ask you a question today on this very first message in this series about the end times. Are you ready? Are you ready for Christ's return? Is your heart right with God? Are you harboring unforgiveness in your life? Are you harboring sin in your heart? Are you one of the ones that Jesus is talking about when he talked about the signs? Maybe your own heart is wicked. And maybe you've let down your standards. Hey, folks, listen, I'm not the one that set the standards. I preach about the standards. But what you need to do is you need to read the Bible yourself to find out what those standards are. And the problem is, is that we become lazy. We don't want to read the Bible. Pastor, you read it for me. Tell me what's in there. Or husbands, what, dear wife of mine, you read it. Tell me, what, tell me if there's anything there I need to know. Or kids, do I have to do this? Can somebody else do this? I'm going to tell you, folks, when I began to read the Bible, when I was just about 10 years old, 9 years old, I remember, this is going to blow your mind, I remember I was at Bible camp, and I begged and pleaded with my youth counselor to give me a New Testament. And he didn't want to give me one because he said, you come from a Christian home, you don't need a New Testament. But I begged and pleaded, and finally he gave me a New Testament. And my parents picked me up from 
from camp at Red Rock Youth Camp. And then we drove out to, I can't remember where we went, if, if it was Grand Beach or something like that, but it was quite a journey. But I picked up my Bible, and guess what book I began to read? Revelation. <laughs> so here I am, uh, I'm about nine or ten years old, I'm reading the book of Revelation. And um, does anybody, anybody remember the old cars, the old Buicks? With the, remember the back seat and then the window, and then there was a ledge at the back that a small child could easily lay in? That's where I traveled. Those are days without seatbelts, and I just, I just laid up there, and I, that tells you how small I was, and I was reading Revelation. Now, here's the interesting thing. The Bible says that anybody who reads the Revelation is going to be blessed by that. And I can tell you, I, I, I remember like it was yesterday. I was profoundly blessed, encouraged, thrilled, excited about what I read in Revelation. Now, if I as a child can read that book, and by the way, that was in King James English. If I can read that and God can bless me as a child, I can tell you right now that God's going to bless every one of you if you take up your Bible and start to read about what Jesus Christ wants to do in these last days. Would you say amen to that? That's what we need to do. So what does Jesus want us to do? He wants us to be ready. And that's why we had a a night of prayer last Sunday night because we want to make sure our hearts are ready. We want to make sure that we're prepared for the return of our Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, don't be blinded by the cares of life, Jesus says. Some of us right now, we're so wrapped up in how I'm going to make my money. What about my retirement? What about my this? And what about that? Or some of us want to, we're so overwhelmed by the cares of life that we've, we've resorted to carousing, to partying and, and getting drunk. Hey, I got to tell you, that's why I don't have anything to do with alcohol. I don't want anything to do with it. I just I don't want to touch it. I don't want my kids to touch it because I don't want to be sidetracked. I don't want to be one of the statistics. I don't want to be one of those people that gets caught up in these things because I know Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. And so here's what I want to say to you as your pastor because really my, my, my modus operandi as your pastor, my, my desire is to make sure I get everybody safely home. I want everybody. I, I don't, when I go to heaven, I'm going to heaven. How many know I'm going to heaven someday? And, uh, and hopefully it's not sooner than later. <laughs> hopefully it's later than sooner. Um, when I get there, I want to make sure, I want to know that you're all going to be there with me. And all you have to do, folks, is make sure you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And you need to be ready for his return. Hey, what we teach is something called the seven habits. It's, it's the habits of believers so that you are ready to see the Lord. You've got to do your devotions every day, people. If you're not praying and reading your Bible every day, then I can guarantee you that your Christianity is in the toilet. Guaranteed. I know that, guys. I've been doing this for so many years. I've been making disciples for so many years. I know that your faith, if you're not walking with God, reading your Bible and praying every day, you probably have no faith. You probably are here just because someone made you come here, or you're here because you feel guilty. You need to be here. But you're here today because God wanted you to hear this message. And you need to make sure that you are constantly, daily connecting with God so that you are ready for Christ's return. Would you say amen to that? And listen, you can't miss church. So many pastors now are reporting that people, if they come two times a month, that that's considered good and regular attendance. My, how times have changed. Jesus says, Jesus tells, tells us that Jesus never missed meeting with the, with, the, with the people of God on the Sabbath day. In, Revel- in, in Hebrews, it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. 
You need to have a daily walk with God, praying, reading your Bible. You, need to, you can't miss church. You need to be in your small group. You need to be connecting with others who have the same faith as you. Here, let me just close with this verse. Jesus says, keep alert at all times. Don't become dull and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to pray. The Apostle Peter tells us, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. God, that is, that is the prayer that I'm praying for our church today. I'm praying, Father, that we would be firm in our faith. We thank you, God, that uh, we are more than conquerors through Christ. Some may be feeling defeated already. They hear this and they're terrified. But God, the good news is we have nothing to be afraid of as long as we are staying connected to you. God, you are our shield. You are our protection. And nothing, nothing can happen to us outside of, of you. So God, this morning we are hiding behind you. We're hiding in you. Psalm, Psalm 91 draws a picture of the hen just, just cuddling his, her chicks under her wings. God, help us to see that we're those little chicks under the wings of the mother hen. That's you, God. You're protecting us. You're shielding us. We pray only, Father, that you would take, you'd help us take seriously this call to be ready for your return. Help us, Lord, not to grow lazy. Help us not to be dull. Help us, O oh God, not to be caught up in the carousing and the drunkenness and the cares of this life. Help us, Lord, to make sure that our hearts are on fire for God at all times. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Tell the person beside you, make sure your heart's on fire for God. <laughs>